Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Dining in a beautiful restaurant, you're typically surrounded by decor, furniture, accents, and multiple points of attention to detail that may go unnoticed. And now, onto the train of dishes, and once that starts, the plateware or dinnerware may also typically be seen as nothing more than a vessel. But however, I would like to introduce you to Connie Matisse. She's one of the co-founders of East Fork. East Fork creates beautiful dinnerware and functional items like cups and mugs and other things out of stoneware clay, and they're based in Asheville, North Carolina. And the pieces created by this team of artists and experts give incredible life to simple function and color for the kitchen and dinner table and a whole lot more. And one thing is for certain, there's no fuss in what they create. So Connie and I caught up so I could hear her story and how things at East Fork came to be. Here she is. Shout out to whoever's um, running this Airbnb. This is <laughs> fantastic. Um, maybe they can be the sponsor for this podcast. Oh my this gosh, is, really. This, it's exceptional. It really is. It's stunning. Aaron, and Aaron was like, we should cook in the kitchen. Well, I, so I want to cook in that kitchen. Actually. I mean, look at, look at the copper backsplash. Are those actual pennies? Are they? They are. Are they actually? It's a lot of pennies. It is a lot of pennies. <laughs> you could buy uh, two cups of coffee. Two with cups all, of coffee. With all those pennies. Um Tell me, um, tell me what your first food memory is. Like, what's the one that sticks out in your mind? Whoa. Like, what's a, what's a meal? What's a plate? What's a restaurant? What's a trip? What's the first one that stands out? Yeah, just so many were just, I just got flooded. Um, picking one is hard, but one that I, I think about a lot. It's not my first one, but it's a f- very early food memory that I often come back to is um, my family was in Vail, Colorado in the summertime. Um, at eating a hot dog at this little place that I don't remember what it looked like on the outside, but the hot dog had um, sauerkraut and a really good bun and it was very like crispy, like bit into it and the skin just like popped in oil spotted. And my mom was just freaking out about this hot dog. She would just like, Oh, can you believe kids? Can you believe how delicious this hot dog was? And just seeing her enjoying that hot dog, I, I, can picture her face so easily and even to this day like we'll have a hot dog and my mom will be like this is this hot dog is great but like nothing like the, the hot dog in Vail, Colorado. <laughs> but there is something wonderful about the auditory snap of snap. like a natural casing hot dog or kielbasa mm-hmm. or bratwurst um yeah I uh I can I can definitely mm-hmm. yeah I can I can imagine how, yeah. how amazing that must be um Connie, yes. welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be again in this Airbnb, uh, right on the edge of Piedmont Park, and um, this is uh, this is really cool because I think the last time that we saw each other was actually at a brunch event that was happening at King and Duke up mm-hmm. in Buckhead, and um, I've I've been a fan of East Fork for a long time, and um, I've eaten on many uh, I've eaten on many many dishes or I've eaten on many, you know, plates and other, you know, dishes that were plated on your guys' pottery. And then I drink from one of your coffee mugs, uh, pretty often, uh, one of the equality mugs, which is one of my favorites. Um, and, uh, you know, your guys' story is really awesome and I can't wait to, to dive in and, and get a little bit more of your story and like, here we like where you guys came from and like what you guys are doing now is really incredible and, and just up the road in Asheville. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I want to get to know you just a little bit before we get into that. So, right. 
Um, tell me though, you know, so before, you know, this, uh, this amazing hot dog story happened, mm-hmm. tell me who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? Uh, I got really lucky, um, growing up my, my maternal side of my family is mixed Mexican, uh, grew up with a powerful, sultry, just powerhouse of a, of a Mexican grandmother who, um, I, I have extremely visceral memories of everything she's ever cooked for me, starting from age, you know, one year onward. Um, and she, she didn't just make Mexican, I mean, she obviously made Mexican food, but she, um, she, she moved to Los Angeles when she was 16 and, um, taught herself English and was very hell bent on, on figuring out how to be a Mexican immigrant in Los Angeles. And so she got really, really deeply connected with other communities, other immigrant communities in Los Angeles and taught herself how to make Filipino food and Russian food and French food and uh, Thai food. And so we grew up eating all of that, um, but homemade by my parents. Um, and yeah, by my mom and my grandmother and my grandfather. My grandfather made donuts and he made pizza and, um, yeah, just all from scratch. And, uh, yeah, that was, I had a very well-fed childhood. (laughs) That's awesome. What kind of eater were you? It was a a vociferous eater who ate literally everything, um, not picky. And my mom is very upset that I have not figured out how to make my children less picky eaters. She, I feel judged by her on a daily basis. I don't think I'm doing anything differently than she did. But. No, that, that's some sort of alchemy to unlock of like, how do you get your kids to enjoy kale or broccoli or carrots or Brussels sprouts? Um, it's a challenge. Yeah. Where, well, like one day my kid will be like, I only eat pate and oysters. And then the next day they're like, I only eat ketchup from a spoon. Like, right. Well, what, which yeah. one is it today? Well, I was going to, I was going to say like, you know, in the world of East Fork pottery, I'd imagine that your children are astride, very fancy cuisine at times. And, uh, you know, if you can get a kid at a very young age to try an oyster, like that's a, that's a feather in the parenting cap right there. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if your four-year-old, oh. yeah. If your four-year-old knows what pate is, like you're, you're, you're a, you're a hop, skip and a jump ahead of I'll most. Stop sweating it. <laughs> um, so you grew up on the West coast. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, mom and dad are still there. Um, yeah. Thought so, I, I thought I would move back there for sure. Yeah. yeah. So tell me how the East side of our country became your home. Sure. Yeah. So I, I went to, um, university of California, Berkeley. And, um, from there moved to New York thinking just cause that's what other friends were doing. I had no idea what I was going to do there. I was like, I'm just 20. I'm going to go to New York. Um, and did that for a while, worked in restaurants, um, worked in at a law firm, worked at a bakery, just had odd jobs, went to France, milked some goats for like six months when I needed to just get out of New York for a little bit. Um, you know, did the whole, I'm finding myself thing. And then, um, during the financial crisis, I was working for, uh, inconveniently working for a nonprofit, um, in, uh, sustainable urban agriculture, um, which got entirely defunded overnight in 2008. Um, and I just like got the hell out of Dodge and moved to Madison County, North Carolina, um, because it was like the cheapest place I could think to live. And while I figured out what was next, um, and then, immediately met Alex like a month after and I've been there now for 11 years. (laughs) I was going to say, I know a part of your story uh, pre East Fork is that you were milking goats, (laughs) which it's, it's very plainly spelled out in your story on the website. I believe if I recall, um, goats, cows, sheep, milk, I can milk anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, if you have, uh, if, if you've ever actually, actually had 
freshly uh uh, milked milk from an animal that produces milk it's um it's really fun yeah I, I think it's it's an amazing experience especially just the temperature of it mm-hmm. because very i mean we're not a country that's like oh you should drink your milk warm mm-hmm. like, warm it up before you do that and um it's uh yeah it's it's quite it's quite the experience it's but um all frothy it comes <laughs> yeah. out all frothy <laughs> it really does like a latte yeah um so so you met Alex and this is is this in Asheville or is it in Matt this, this in was Madison? in Madison County so okay. we were um, Alex just bought the property where we built East Fork um, version one um, he moved Ash moved to the Asheville area in order to become a potter to start his own workshop um, he'd been working in apprenticeships prior to that. Um, with potters in other parts of North Carolina. Um, and I was working, just working for a farm, um, selling goat cheese at the farmer's market. Um, and as the story goes, uh, my mom was there visiting and she was like desperate for me to have friends. She was terrified that I was like living by myself in some remote single wide trailer in the middle of the woods. And, um, she saw Alex at the farmer's market and she was like, that person seems like nice. You should ask him to be your friend. Uh, cause you are like, I'm worried for you. <laughs> um, and then I did. And then I moved in a month later. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks mom. Mm-hmm. Thanks, thanks for, mom. Thanks for looking all out the credit. For, yeah. She's we were, looking, yeah. We looking were out for friendships, looking out for friendships. She was not <laughs> pleased that I was moving into his house, but <laughs> she, well, no, she, yeah. it worked out. Which, which one would you prefer? Do you want me to have friends or not? Yeah. Cause there's, you know, I Don't have ruined to ruin my life. Mom. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting origin story for how East Fort comes about from you and Alex's relationship. So, you know, tell me about like how, Cause I mean, obviously he had a lot of background in pottery. Mm-hmm. So what was that like for you on the upstart of like learning how to throw pottery? Oh God, I did not learn how to throw pottery. I tried to, so Alex was the potter. I was doing everything I possibly could to do anything besides what he was doing <laughs> for a while. I, I just, you know, I, I was like an independent feminist woman. Like there was no way I was just going to like be a cog in my boyfriend's machine or like be beholden to his career. Like I, I had my own vision for my my own career and my future that were very separate for us from his but I also really liked him and I like wanted to see what happened and, and so the, the more I learned about what he was doing and planning on doing because the thing is like when he he'd already been making pots for dec- a decade and a half before I met him um, but when I met him he wasn't making pots because we were in the process of setting up the workshop so I didn't it was like a full year before I really got to see what he what he was talking about and like get to experience the craft. Um, so that for that first year I was like, what are you talking about? You're going to like have a kiln sale and all these people are going to show up. Like you're going to bring pots to some random craft fair and there's going to be a, a line down the block the night before to like scramble. Like it, none of it made sense. Cause that, that his, that his tradition was so distant from my reality. Sure. Um, and so, but then once I saw it happened, like when we got the, we, we built the kiln, um, we, you know, started going to craft fairs and like he was right. Like people were just like flocking to like obsessively buy these, this art pottery. Um, back then we were making, Alex was making, I was helping make, um, like helping with the, you know, mixing clay. I was not making pots. We tried one time. I was like, look at this little, little bowl I threw. And Alex was like, it's not very good. Mm-hmm. And, and I never went back. And, <laughs> if, and, and I've only done this twice in uh-huh. my life. And I've never really been in the, I've never really been in the seat where I was fully making, you know, a, a piece of pottery that would then go into the kiln and, mm-hmm. you know, would actually be glazed and then fired. And, um, I helped a little bit mm-hmm. and, um, this was in college and 
it's incredibly difficult <laughs> from what I remember. And it was, it was enough to where it was incredibly difficult, you know, where I spent plenty of time in like the, like the dark room, like developing film and, you know, things that are meticulous, mm-hmm. but pottery is a very different art form and yeah. it, it to me it's like learning how to swing a golf club like if you hate it and you're frustrated like it you've got to buckle up and just put in the time yeah it's really it's really really hard it's really really hard it's actually it's interesting I'm, I'm glad you kind of brought that up because there's pottery when when Alex and I first got together um maybe two years later pottery started having this like cool moment in like New York and LA where like hobby potters were kind of popping up and but then they were like selling stuff on Etsy and like pottery was like trending a little bit, but the type of pottery that Alex and his teachers made was very, very different. Um, and the approach to it, the work ethic behind it, um, Alex would get up and prepare clay and then stand at the wheel, um, for nine hours, making the same form over and over and over and over and over again until he had 400 on on boards. Um, he would make so much pottery and you know, other people will like make a bowl and then they make a plate and then they make a vase or whatever. Like production pottery is in the South is a very specific craft that is all about efficiency of movement and really mastering your craft, not trying to like put your own artistic spin on everything, like doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And then like knocking off 30% of the stuff that's on your board. Cause they're not perfect. Yeah. So that's where, that's like the, the type of pottery that East Fork came from. Gotcha. So mm-hmm. what, what was like the, what year was it that you guys were working on actually building shop for East Fork? Like when did all this start? So yeah, it's a little bit confusing because in 2009 to 2009 to 2014, we were, we were like a, a vernacular Southern studio. Like we were making craft pottery fired in a wood kiln, um, selling it the way that Alex and John's teachers had been selling it, um, which was not to a national audience. It was to a very specific collector set of people who already knew about North Carolina pottery. Um, John, our business partner joined the business about 2013 and they, they kind of worked like, worked at like an atelier a little bit where they were making their own work, but with a similar, um, aesthetic vocabulary, if that makes any sense. And we were selling it in the same places. Um, and then in 2015, um, we just, I, I got really involved in the business. I'd always helped with, and I, I fired the kilns with everybody. I, I did lots of like production help, but I was not part of the business. I, I worked elsewhere. Um, and then in 2015, I, I came on full time um, and we were like, we want to do something that's bigger and different. Um, we started hiring people that weren't making pottery that they were, they were helping with finance and, we, we had a few employees by 2015, but we, we started building out more of like a sales structure. Um, and we moved from a craft, a small craft business to a, a lifestyle brand if that, for lack of a better word, we started making for a more national audience and we, we really became a different company. We actually d- ditched the pottery. We went from like East Fork pottery to just East Fork and, um, and it's been working like that ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, cause I, um, I think, you know, when I first learned about East Fork, it was not from, it was not from like going to Asheville and knowing that this was a brand that was you know headquartered in, in a city like Asheville. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually learned about it through, um, I actually think, I, I believe it was actually just through Instagram. Mm-hmm. I was seeing people posting photos and then the first photo that I actually ever saw, um, was, was this, um, I think you guys might actually use it for advertising purposes actually, but it's someone holding a plate and it's a pie chart Mm -hmm. of what your costs are for production. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that that was so brilliant, which is such an odd way to get into a brand of like, man, look at how transparent (laughs) these guys are. Um, but that was really the hook for me because you know, the, I think running, 
running a business and being an artist, like very seldom to do those really merge together. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I didn't realize that this was all relatively recent history. I mean, 2015, I mean, you know, what were we all doing in 2015 other than like learning what memes were? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <so> recent. <laughs> I mean, we were like, East Fork has been around for 10 years, but like it has, it, it 2015, it really became a, a different thing when what the transparency part, um, well, yeah, what I have to say about that is like Alex, neither, not, none of the three of us, which neither, none of, both. It's all, all, of, all, all of them at the same time. I have no idea. I say, <laughs> and how do you pronounce it? I say, I say neither. And people are like, it's neither. I it's like, definitely those, say neither. Yeah, are those different words? Yeah. Like I say neither. I never say neither. Neither sounds awful. Yeah. It sounds like a, some like sort of, neither. yeah. Like someone's like, it has a nasally voice and yeah. it's like a, yeah, it's like a sound more than a word. Team neither forever. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway, no either. one had gone to business school. <laughs> we weren't trying. <laughs> I think what, what really does differentiate his work is that we were a craft. We are a craft business um, and we are a family business and we are scaling. But we have ambitions to be an enterprise scale manufacturer. So but we went when we went into this, when we started doing it at a bigger scale, um, we didn't see a hole in the market that we were trying to fill. You know, like we weren't like launching a brand out of thin air. Um, East Fork was just who we were and what we were doing and the marketing behind it at, in those early days was me just following Alex and John around with my iPhone and taking videos, videos of them and um, then editing them in a way that showed off my 14-year-old boy sense of humor um, and yeah, handle pulling. like And yeah, and that was it. Like It just was us being goofy and showing the behind the scenes and like, and we never changed that strategy because it's just, it's just been how we've always done it. Um, and now people are really responding to it. People, it, it, it's what comes naturally to us and it's what people find engaging. So yeah, the way that we market our stuff is just by showing who makes it and how we do it and what CRM we use. And, um, and it, it's fun. It makes it easy to market. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think what you guys, what you guys produce is obviously very visually stunning. And, um, the way that it's presented is always in such a way that it, it makes it, it makes the craft as much, um, it, it's as easy to appreciate as the process. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that you guys showcases it, it, it makes it super fun. And, um, I mean, I think from a, from a point of pride, you know, like I really like drinking out of an East Fork mug because I think I understand a lot more about the brand where for some people, like you might actually have to dig a little bit to, to understand how something was made. Mm -hmm. So did, I mean, did you guys start making things and people were like, whoa, that's a piece that I just want to have in my home. Or was it more people asking you to produce specific mm -hmm. types of plateware, dinnerware, mm -hmm. whatever? Yeah, so the the design process is super insular. We um, and that kind of goes back to Alex and John's apprenticeship days, where we would make a form, the same form for years, and then slowly, slowly over time, small tweaks would happen. So um, we've we certainly listen to customer feedback. If we make something and customers love it, then we will make more of it. But at, to this point, we haven't we haven't really crowdsourced ideas. Like we we really don't want to put things out there that we don't find are f like fundamentally necessary objects that people actually are going to use. Um, and we kind we fi feel that we're kind of the best suited to figure out which those objects are because we're the ones who are like have the hands in the clay all the time. And, um, so, so yeah, we, we introduce new objects to the line very slowly. Um, and it's sometimes like an object that we've been thinking about for five years and have prototyped a million times and then we'll, so yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's cool because, you know, I mean, I would say that 
um, you know, if, if you, if you have not been to, you know, one of your shops or if you've not been to your website and most of the, most of the pottery or most of like the plateware, dinnerware, the mugs, you know, bowls, like they're very, I mean, I would say in a very good way. And this is why it speaks to me so well is because it looks like something that you would want to eat off mm-hmm. of or eat from or drink from in your own kitchen. Mm-hmm. It's not this, you know, wacky. Uh, I mean, I think the colors are just brilliant, but you know, at the end of the day, I mean, for, for a lot of, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, like it's a very utilitarian mm-hmm. thing to choose a plate to put food on. Yeah. And, yes. um, so I think that's really what speaks to a lot of people is like, it's not, um, I mean, I think some dinner, some dinnerware, you know, like it's just so pretentious. You're like, yeah. oh, when in the hell am I going to use this? Um, but I think what you guys are are creating is very, um, it's very usable, mm-hmm. you know, drinkware or, you know, yeah, wear. that's, so. it's, it's crucial for, for us from a design standpoint, it's the pots should be humble. They should be mm-hmm. perfectly functional. You should want to have them for the rest of your life. It should, nothing on it should be trendy or yeah, this, this is not what we care about. Right. Yeah. yeah. We want them to, to last. Yeah. Big time. Um, Tell me about, so, I mean, I guess the, the easiest way for me to kind of throw this one to you is, you know, creating, creating vessels that we eat from, mm-hmm. but you know, the, one of the things that I love about, about your guys brand is that there's, there's a lot of footprint, so to speak in restaurants. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about like working with chefs and restaurants in a way that you are in, in a way saying here, here's the canvas for the dish that you're creating. So the art form kind of sets up the, like the, you know, the, the setting for what you're going to put in front of a dining customer. Mm -hmm. Like how does that, how does that work with you guys? Sure. Yeah. So, um, we have the, I, I worked in food and beverage for forever, um, prior to jumping on board with, um, East Fork, um, a lot of front of the house, a lot of the back of the house. And so I feel like I had a um, pretty good understanding of what, restaurants required, um, how plates needed to stack. Like I knew that plates needed to stack quite high in the past and like that you needed to be able to fill a commercial dishwasher very quickly and, um, that you needed to be able to like put your hand underneath the plate and take it off the plate easily without having to feel like you're kind of like wedging your hand underneath the rim of a plate in front of a customer. Um, so those, all of those little considerations went into the original design of all the whole collection. And then so in Asheville, the restaurant community is pretty tight knit. Um, I again worked in restaurants in Asheville, so I knew all the chefs there in town. Um, and they came over to the house. They had used the stuff at our house. It was, it was really easy to build a good chef following in Asheville because they were our friends and we were just like, buy the stuff. And they're like, okay. Um, you know, so my friends like Brian Canapelli, Cucina 24, Jacob Sesson set table. Um, Katie Button at Curate has been a huge, huge supporter. They, Curate uses exclusively East Fork. Um, and that process, m- most people end up buying stuff straight from our, our line. Curate has like three specific glazes that match their, um, match their, their own brand palette. Um, and they have a, a different size tapas plate, um, that we make just for them. Um, and that process was super fun getting to, you know, finagle over a quarter of an inch and, um, th- their, their bowl is a little bit more bold in the center and has like straighter sides so that sauces can get sloshy and I've eaten from this bowl. I know what yeah, you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, the bowl. Yeah. Um, and so that process is really fun. Uh, you know, doing custom stuff is always like, unless people are going to buy a, a bunch of it, it's hard to make it work. But, um, Karate does because they, yeah, they, they see a lot of people and they do a really good job. Um, 
anyway, so that's that's that. And re, but we haven't up until this year, we haven't had enough pottery to sell to the restaurants that we want to sell to. So this is like the first year. Next year is going to be all about working with more restaurants. Um, we just sent a bunch of plates to Sean Brock for his new restaurant opening in Nashville. I, I think I think I heard about this. Did you? So I believe I did. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, we're really excited to be working on that project. That's um, so cool. Yeah, yeah, they're going to look great in there. Um, really hope. Yeah, I won't. I won't blow any other covers. But <laughs> we have some things in the works. But we're at, this year, chefs, if you're listening, come to East Fork for your plateware because we got lots of it now. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's so cool because you know, I I think probably for the most part, people will engage with East Fork. You know, either starting with you know social media or some other digital format, and being an e-commerce company is mm-hmm. amazing because it gives you national or international mm-hmm. footprint immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, the snap sounded really good. Mm-hmm. It did sound good. Yeah. Yeah. Sound, yeah. I mean, <laughs> shout out to this Airbnb <laughs> off of Charles Allen uh, across from Piedmont Park. Um, but uh, but it's it's so cool that your your pottery or your plateware dinnerware could be in a restaurant in Seattle or mm-hmm. LA mm-hmm. and um, you you don't have to go there with a crate full of plates and <laughs> bowls mm-hmm. and sell it to someone direct like mm-hmm. it's um it's just really cool and I think the way that it expands your guys brand and um, I, I've really enjoyed you know understanding the brand from having it in my own kitchen cabinet to also seeing it in restaurants here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I think it's, you know, the, the restaurants that you go to where something is so intricate and it's plated so beautifully, but it's on a plate that just has zero practicality mm-hmm. is really difficult because I think what you guys have that is, is a brand that is stunning, but it's also based off of this idea of pragmatism because really? I think for a, for a chef or especially, for, for a chef, but also for the person who's running that food from the past to someone's table, you know, like it should just hold the food and make it look the way that it's supposed to. And if you've ever eaten it at a yeah. restaurant like Karate, you know, it's, um, it's beautiful, but it's also in a, it, it's also in a very rustic way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, it's not fussy. And I think fussy has become a word that I really love to attribute to things where it is the opposite of fussy, mm-hmm. which is a really good thing. So, um, no, we don't do fuss. We yeah, don't fuss. Yeah, yeah. I loved, we were at Aziza last night um, and just had an incredible meal. And I loved how the plates looked in that environment. Aziza, it's elegant. It's like kind of sexy in there. You feel like you're on a night out, but the food is like, it's, it's very, um, it's very, it's soul food. It's like, it's, you know, it's really soul food. Like it, it's beautifully plated, but it's still, it's also not too fussy. Um, yeah. So I, I, it was a perfect marriage, I thought. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and, you know, I think uh, Aziz is a perfect example. I mean, it feels like a grotto somewhere mm-hmm. in Israel, like up on the coast. And, uh, you know, like I think seeing like that pita that comes out of like a wood-fired oh. oven on like that, on, on that plate, like we're just the contrast. But it's really low lighting, especially mm-hmm. if you're there in the evening. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think the... You know, the the idea of of the plate being a canvas, but it's not it's it's not like this is the vessel for me to create this, you know, gastronomic experience, and it's like molecular. And <laughs> like it's like well, it's supposed to be really beautiful, like what you should be eating from. And I think for the dining public, for you know, like the 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 masses and multitudes of people that just want to eat the food off of the plate, they might not necessarily they might not necessarily think of that like, wow, look at this beautiful plate that this is on. But, you know, I think that's a really thing to charge people with is like, you know, for, for a company like East Fork, for a brand like you guys, it's, um, it's a really 
it's a really integral part of how restaurants feed people. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's the, that's one thing I would tell people is Mm -hmm. like, you know, look at what you're eating on. Well, totally. And if you want to, if you want to have a, if you're a restaurant or a chef with the set of values that you want to be basing your business off of, then, and you're thinking about where you're sourcing your ingredients and Mm -hmm. how you're paying your staff and where you're getting your wine, then there's no reason why you shouldn't be using that same logic to apply to the other objects that are supporting, um, you know, playing very important supporting roles. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I, earlier this season on the podcast, I had John and Vivian Bensick and they own square feet studio mm-hmm. and, you know, talking about the ambiance of a restaurant, like the actual decor, the design, mm-hmm. like the flow, like what, what are people actually surrounded by as they're eating? It, it has major implications into how people remember a meal. And, um, I would say the same thing for what people are eating off of and drinking from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a huge aspect mm-hmm. of how I, I remember the, the white paper boat that the hot dog was in it had the red checkered lining inside. And, but yeah. that's, that speaks to you. Yeah, you know, it does speak to yeah, me. It's huge. Yeah. So, um, well, Connie, as we're wrapping up here, uh, where can we, where can we visit you guys? Mm-hmm. And then also where could everybody find out more about East Fork? Yeah. So you can find our Atlanta store in Westside Provisions District. We're right next to Billy Reed across from Brash Coffee. We have great neighbors down there. Um, the, the team in the Atlanta store is super sweet. You'll love them. Um, we sell pottery and we also sell pantry items and glassware and, um, beautiful carving boards that are made by our friend Andy and, Asheville and um, a bunch of really beautiful stuff um, right next to Aziza under Marcel, another place I love to eat. Um, and you can find us at East Fork Pottery on Instagram. So at East Fork Pottery and at eastfork.com. That's awesome. Nice. Well, I thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, again, I, I think, you know, the the art form of pottery is something that um, for the for the few that find their way into it and are not frustrated by <laughs> like the, how difficult it is. It leaves people like me on the end of it of like, I just appreciate the art form and the craft so much. But, um, but I love you guys. I love East Fork, but thank you so much for telling your story. Connie. Yeah, it was such a pleasure. Yeah, So much fun having you on the show. Appreciate it. Many thanks to Connie for joining me for this episode. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about East Fork and where you could find their dinnerware or plateware or how you could buy some online, just go to eastfork.com. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry.